right. Thank you. Thank you, Cole. Thank you all for coming out tonight to worship with me, to worship our sovereign creator. It's a pleasure to be able to stand here and, and to be able to read the, the scriptures together and to honor the Lord and his gospel. Uh, our, our family, we, we really appreciated living here amongst all of you. It's, it's been about, let's see, was it six months, hon, uh, since we moved here? Uh, September, yeah, six months. Uh, there, and, you know, I haven't even gotten to meet all of you. Uh, there's still so many that are part of this church that, that haven't really made it in because of the virus and, and the, this pandemic. And a lot of you are at home to protect yourself and your family from the virus, and I understand that. And I know there are a lot of you out there watching the service on the Internet uh, that I'd like to get to know a whole lot better. But I'd like to just reiterate to y'all how thankful I am to the Lord and this congregation for being so welcoming. Thank you for welcoming us into this this church family and the community at large. And it's really good to call this place home. And I know there are some listeners and viewers out there tonight in internet land. (laughs) They're all, all out there around the world, listening, that aren't part of any congregation due to the circumstances the Lord's placed them in. It's difficult to find congregations that are faithful to the scriptures and to the truth. And uh, I'm kind of a purist anyway, so that's why we moved our family from St. Louis to, to Ashland. It's not to say there aren't other believers in Missouri and St. Louis. It's just I wanted to be part of a place and a people that was more faithful to the scriptures and what we could find there. We wanted to be part of a people that were faithful to the gospel, faithful to preach it. So Jim asked me to preach, and when he did, I I had determined at that time I was going to speak on one of my favorite topics, God's absolute sovereignty over all things. And I'd even started to prepare for that. (laughs) But uh, it is one of my favorite subjects. But one that delights my soul, but for some reason or another, gospel unity was instead put under my mind. So that's what I'm going to preach about tonight, unity in the gospel. So hopefully Jim asked me to preach again, and if he does, I'll, I'll save that sermon on absolute sovereignty of God for another time. Um, anyway, I hope you all have me to preach again, because I really like doing this. But tonight, the title for the message is with one accord. So if you would, please open up the scriptures with me to the second chapter of the book of Acts. We're going to briefly read about the early church and the early days of the ministry of the apostles. And we're going to start in verse 36. Peter's just finishing up giving his sermon on testifying the work of Christ and the work Christ has performed in fulfillment of Scripture, where many heard his message in their native tongue. It was one of those miraculous events. It's, it was the speech at Pentecost. And, and the last words that he spoke here are in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, 
they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What does that mean? To continue in the apostles' doctrine. I think it's pretty simple. It means they continued in the gospel. So let's keep reading, if you don't mind. Verse 43. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common. And they sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Oh, there's so much we can learn from these verses here in Acts. It's the creation of a local church right here. And notice what's going on. They had all things in common. They shared their lives with each other, their time, even their material things. But notice also that they were of one accord. They met together for worship and to break bread, remembering the things the Lord Jesus did for them on Calvary. But also notice that the Lord added to the church daily. It's the Lord. It's the church built by God, not the inventions of man. Their church had been assembled not by the eloquence of man's preaching or by slick methods. There were no church programs designed to get people in the doors. No, no we didn't even have doors. <laughs> there were no church programs designed to get people to attend their meetings, and there were no altar calls. There wasn't a rock band concert designed to get converts. Peter wasn't up there with a rock guitar. <laughs> he, and he wasn't smiling up on stage telling people how to have their best life now <laughs> or how they could get a lot of money. Uh, simply put, Peter spoke the gospel in plain language. The Holy Spirit came upon people who heard this message. They, he opened their hearts and their eyes to understand the gospel, and they were regenerated, and they were added to the church. Simple as that. And that's how it's done today. Nothing's changed. The Lord adds to his church. He adds them to his people. Uh, and it is his gospel that he brings them in with. It's the gospel of sovereign grace, without works, 
freely given to his people. It's all about Christ. And this message, if you're one of God's elect, it needs no additions or anything to spice it up or make it more appealing. It's a message that does not appeal to the world, but only to people like me and people like you, needy sinners. We know we're sinners and we need this message badly. Let's go ahead and go back to verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. I love that verse. And verse 46, they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Not two accords, not three accords. And they weren't arguing over theology, but they were with one accord. Speak, this passage is speaking of unity of the early believers. Oh, how blessed it is to dwell amongst the house of the Lord together in unity. Don't you like it? You like being, being unified with each other? I do. I, I do. But what is it that unifies us? Is it a confession? Is it a creed? Is it the way we dress? Well, in certain places, that can be the primary way folks are unified. You see, they get dressed, they go to church, they sing the same songs, then they go out to lunch. And there's nothing wrong with that, going out to lunch. They have a nice little social club, but that's not what we're here for. That's not what unifies us. Where we go, eat, where we go to eat after church, that, that isn't what unifies us together. How we dress isn't what makes us different from the rest of the world. Some people think that their style of baptism is what unifies them with one another. But what unified men like Augustus Toplady and John Gill had a disagreement over water baptism? Augustus believed you should baptize babies. John Gill believed you should only baptize believers. And these two men, we still use their works today in this church. They were influential in their day, and they continue to bless us. And both of them were alive in the 1600s, so if you haven't heard of them, you can go look them up. John Gill was known as Dr. Voluminous, having written a commentary on every single verse of the Bible. He knew a lot, but he still got some stuff wrong. <laughs> and Augustus Toplady, well, he translated uh, Jerome Zanchius's book on the doctrine of absolute predestination, he also got in a big disagreement with uh, Methodist leader John Wesley, and he's mostly famously known for writing the, the hymn, Rock of Ages. And both of these, these men, these men's works have affected me greatly, and I'm, I'm sure many of you as well. And I'm clearly on the side of John Gill here. I believe that only believers ought to be baptized. It's a joyful testimony we we, we give when we are baptized in water and we are brought by the grace of God to believe the gospel and rest in the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we come out of the waters of baptism before the congregation, soaking wet, that's the way it should be, it's a testimony of joy. It's a testimony that we as believers, who have been, we've been crucified with Christ, went into the ground with Christ, and having died with Christ, and then raised with Christ. It's a testimony that we've been given a new heart 
and are now alive unto the truth. And baby can't express this truth to others. They can't even talk yet. But some believers today, they like top lady. I believe they're wrong. But does this mean we can't have unity with one another if we disagree on baptism? That's a tough question. That's a tough question to answer. And I'll come back to that question. But I'll say this. Our primary unity is not in how we view water baptism. Even if the name of our church is, after all, 13th Street Baptist. The scriptures state that it should be our goal for us to strive for unity. Amos 3, verse 3 says, Can two men walk together lest they be agreed? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 10 here. Paul's addressing the church in Corinth, and they had a lot of problems. And prior to this verse, uh, Paul's kind of treating these believers with kid gloves. But if you start here in verse 10, he starts to address their problems. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Right there, we're to speak the same things. We're to profess the same truths. And we are to preach and speak the same message of grace in Christ to each other. And, and secondly, there shouldn't be any divisions amongst us. There shouldn't be any in-church fighting or arguing with each other. We shouldn't be arguing over doctrine or debating one another, but we should be unified over doctrine. So how do we do that? Well, we, we should be perfectly joined together, living in harmony, and we should be agreed on matters of doctrine and other things as much as we possibly can agree upon. We are the body and Christ is the head. And we are his adopted children in the Lord. That makes me and you brothers and sisters, whether we like it or not. We're brothers and sisters, and we need to strive together to maintain that unity. But how we go about that can be difficult at times, as I'm sure a lot of experienced believers here have experienced over time. And lots of groups... Throughout the centuries, they've attempted to maintain unity through the use of very long, detailed creeds. Uh, if you're a student of church history, you'll find that there have been large creeds written, like the Westminster Confession of Faith uh, or the London Baptist Confession of 1644. They got a 1689 version. And many church groups out there, uh, they use multiple creeds. And they'll even call them the three forms of unity. That's the Belgic Confession, the Canons of Dort, and the Heidelberg Catechism. And I've found that I've actually enjoyed reading these documents. But to call them the three forms of unity, that's a bit of a stretch for me. But men think they've got the whole unity problem figured out with these confessions and creeds. How are we to be unified, they ask? They say, read this creed. Agree with me on it, and you're good. 
But if you're like me, when you sit down to read a large detailed creed, you find you can't have perfect unity with this confession or that creed. The creeds don't even agree with each other on every point. They leave no room for freedom of conscience or thought. They're, they have very strict guidelines you must abide by. And in my opinion, they create a false unity. So we as a congregation, we have pretty much rejected the use of a detailed creed to, to sort of enforce the unity decree that Paul is speaking here in the first chapter to, in his letter to the church at Corinth. All right, so when you walk in the door, you're not, you're not given a big detailed creed that you have to abide by in order to be unified with us. And I think we're getting that part right. And it's one of the things that really drew me to this congregation. I didn't just pack up my things and move my home hundreds of miles away from here, from St. Louis to here, making sure we had a unity that I thought was not sustainable. I wanted to make sure it was sustainable. So what is it that holds us together? What is it that makes 13th Street Baptist Church here in Ashland a desirable congregation to be a part of? Well, the answer is simple, the gospel. We are unified over one thing primarily, the gospel, the gospel of grace, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of freedom in Christ. We are now free from the law, and we meet regularly to worship, to pray with one another, and in one accord, we sing our praises to our Creator. And we've been missing out on the singing, but I hope we get it back soon. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we're not bound to a creed or confession because, well, we're thankful and love the Lord and to each other. We have agreement on all the important gospel doctrines, uh, things like the total depravity of man, the, the election of salvation from before the foundation of the world in Christ, uh, Christ dying for his people and only his people, and the grace of God, which is simply irresistible. And of course, we shall persevere in that faith until the very end, because it's all a gift. And when we gather, there's an implicit and explicit reason as to why we gather. We gather to remember the Lord and his sacrifice and substitutionary life and death on behalf of us. And when he went to the cross and died and bled, he did it for us. And God has clothed us with his righteousness from eternity, and we stand before his throne blameless. Why? Because Christ did it all. We didn't have to do anything. We just get it. Our believing this doesn't make it so. Our believing of the gospel, it's a gift of grace that is given to each of us at his appointed time. We are predestinated to be his children from before the foundation of the world. And when we came to believe, we didn't come of our own power. We didn't exercise our so-called free will. We came willingly, yeah, but that's only because the Lord enabled us. Our belief, it was granted from above. In Acts 13, 48, it says the Gentiles heard this gospel. They were glad and glorified the Lord, the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. It doesn't say, as many as decided of their own free will to accept a gift, believed. 
says, as many as were ordained. In order to believe, you've got to be ordained. And so, this belief doesn't save us in the sight of God. This belief is a result of our salvation in the sight of God. It's given to us to assure us that our sins are forgiven and put away forever in Christ. Our faith is the means by which we lean upon the Lord for all things, and in, by, in Christ by which we can do all things. On our own, we're nothing. But in Christ, we can do everything. And that's the basis of our unity. This gospel that we have, and it should be our rule of life for everything. It should be how we judge. It's how we determine how to greet one another. It's why we meet. We don't get together because we have a list of rules that we agree are right. We don't get together and worship our Lord because some creed tells us to. We're unified by Christ. And because of that unity we we have over this primary thing, the primary issue, as I call it, this gospel, everything else becomes secondary. And I, I thought for I, I tried to come up with a few examples of how we're unified on the gospel and how it derives how we relate to one another. The COVID vaccine, for example. This could, uh, if you go out there in the world, it's one big argument over the COVID vaccine. And some of us here believe you should be vaccinated with COVID for the COVID-19 virus. In fact, I think most of you probably already have. And there's some of us also that aren't quite ready to get that shot. Can we be unified if we disagree on the vaccine? My answer is yeah. We have unity in Christ. Whether you get vaccinated or not, it doesn't affect the gospel. Here's another one. Um, some churches believe you shouldn't use musical instruments in worship service. Others do. I don't have a problem with that. I like musical instruments. But is that a reason why we shouldn't have unity with one another if we have a disagreement on musical instruments? I don't think so. It's, the musical instruments don't affect the gospel. If you don't think Marty and David shouldn't play their music, then you can just sit there and learn to appreciate it. Because, well, Christ, for his sake. Some people don't think we should celebrate Christmas. Others do. Is this anything to divide over? I don't think so. It can, that's a little trickier question. But in the end, if the, if the doctrine or practice is not anti-gospel, we should just let people be and tolerate one another. We should overlook each other's infirmities. Not everyone's been revealed the same amount of truth regarding the scriptures or all the implications of the gospel as it relates to the practical day-to-day living of our lives. They think that, you know, but some people, they think that salvation is not based on God's sovereign election in Christ. How do we deal with that? They think Christ died for everyone in the world and that the real difference maker is an individual's decision. Is that something to divide over? Can unity be had between those of us who believe in free and sovereign grace and those who are looking to their, to their works of their hands or the works of their mind and volition? I don't think so. That's a doctrine that affects the primary issue, the gospel. 
that would not be continuing in the gospel, in the apostles' doctrine. There's, there's no way we could be in one accord with those who have changed the very gospel message into one of conditions fulfilled outside of Christ and fulfilled within the individual. Let's look back at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's keep reading here. Actually, we're going to go back a little bit. Verse 10. Reread verse 10 through verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Skipping ahead, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptize in mine own name. And I baptize also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect. We're baptized in the name of Christ. But here in Corinth, they were dividing over something pretty stupid, if you ask me. They're, they're fighting over something stupid. Uh, what, the crazy Corinthians, they, they were saying, we're Paul. He preached to us the gospel, and therefore, we're believers through him. We aren't going to listen to anybody else. Another group saying, uh, I don't really like Paul. We like Apollos. Another group saying, we like Peter. And another group, oh, the, they were the super spiritual ones. We are of Christ. We don't need anyone else. So that was a little, little silly thing to be divided over. Christ is our Lord, and we're all one in him. He's given us some people with certain gifts and others different gifts. We aren't to be exalted above one another. And Paul isn't saying he dislikes water baptism here. He's saying through our unity, it's not based on who baptized us or how we were baptized. That's not our unity. Our unity is not in baptism. Our unity is in Christ. Verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. The main business here at 13th Street is to preach the gospel of Christ. And not with man's wisdom or eloquent speech, but plain, simple, humble language. It's not our church membership that unifies us. It's not our water baptism. It's not the clothes we wear or where we live. And so I'm circling back now to that question I asked earlier. How can we have unity with each other when we disagree? The gospel. <laughs> the gospel is the primary issue and everything else is secondary. We accept each other as fellow heirs of the kingdom because we believe the gospel. If we have a disagreement over some point of doctrine, it's not nearly a big deal unless it affects the primary issue, the gospel. Because we have agreement on the primary issue, the 
gospel, and then we can sit down and try to work out whatever differences and disagreements we have over secondary issues in love. We sit down in love with open Bibles, open hearts, open minds, and we discuss things amongst ourselves as family members. That's how we resolve differences we might have. Either that or you just live with them. We don't want to hurt each other. We don't want to hurt fellow heirs of the kingdom. We don't want to disrupt our unity over the primary issue. If we have disagreements over politics or government or what kind of car we drive, crazy, I know you can have a disagreement over that. We can just keep quiet about it. We don't want to hurt each other. Our unity in Christ is too precious to give up on. We shouldn't throw it away because you don't like somebody's Facebook post where they talked about something political that you didn't like. And so it's this gospel. That is how Augustus Toplady, who believed in baptizing babies, and the strict particular Baptist John Gill, who believed only believers should be baptized, got along with each other. They may not have gone to the same church, but I'm convinced based on what little I've read of them, that they loved each other as brothers. They were close friends, and they encouraged each other as such. Why? Because they shared a unity in the gospel. They were, they were able to look past their secondary differences over things that weren't affecting the gospel and encourage each other in Christ. It was Gill who encouraged Top Lady to, bubble, to publish his translation of Absolute Predestination by Jerome Zanchius. And Top Lady encouraged his readers to read John Gill's sermons and commentary. Let's learn from these past saints, and let's apply it to our own lives. Let's be unified here amongst ourselves and the church around the, around the world. Verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. We are unified through the preaching of salvation by the grace of God alone, by Christ alone, who was, also, who was crucified. We're unified by the preaching of righteousness and the peace of reconciliation provided unto us the blood of Christ's cross. We're unified by Christ who offered himself up in our stead. And this is nothing but pure nonsense to a world that's dying. It's foolishness to the to the wisdom, the wise of this world. But to those of us who've had the love of God shed abroad in our hearts and have come to know who he is, we see in Christ crucified our deliverance from the curse of God's law. We see in Christ crucified how God is just and the justifier of those who believe. We're going to let some secondary issue get in the way of our unity in Christ. We're going to let some practice that does not affect the gospel, destroy what friendship we have? I hope not. I don't see it here amongst us. But if you hop on the internet, I see people constantly arguing over every little thing. They're arguing over politics. They're, they're arguing over the pandemic. They're arguing on how you should educate your children. They're arguing about what pronouns we should use when talking to each other. Uh, the list of things people will argue about can go on and on and on and on. And the world is simply not at peace. They have no unity. And we can have no unity with them. Verse 19, 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. The world and all of its wisdom, they don't know what's going on. They don't believe this gospel. They haven't been revealed this gospel. They haven't been brought to see who they are before a just and holy God. They think they got viruses figured out. They got vaccines figured out. Yet they don't even know they are cursed with sin. But we have the gospel, and nothing else matters. You can hold hands with, with your Republican neighbor or your Democrat neighbor if you like. You can pledge allegiance to the flag or not pledge allegiance to that flag. In the end, it's not going to matter. The world's perishing, and it's going to soon be destroyed forever. Hold on to that which really unifies us, not who is or who isn't the president. Now, let's say you hop on the Internet again, and you head over to the theology discussion, discussion groups. They've got it all figured out, right? <laughs> nope, they don't. They don't have it figured out at all. It's the theologians and the churches that need the gospel more than anyone, it seems. They're arguing about every single little thing you can imagine. They're arguing about who is better of them, who is the best of them. They're arguing over minor points of doctrine that have no relation to the gospel at all. They're arguing over church practices. And I'm not saying we shouldn't try to get our church practice right, but without the gospel, it's just vain conversation. They're arguing over these things because they don't know the gospel. If there's any place that needs to hear the gospel, more than the town square or on the street. It's the thousands of churches that are on nearly every street corner. People have sat through hundreds of sermons listening about how they should live, what they should do, where they should go, how they should be doing it. They've listened to thousands of altar calls to the tune of Just As I Am, but they haven't heard the gospel. And these people who haven't heard the gospel well, they're now on the internet arguing about whether or not we should use musical instruments in church or not. They're arguing about which creed is the best. Or they're arguing about who's the better preacher. Or they're arguing about who is saved and who isn't saved, as if that matters. And they're sitting there arguing about which holidays we should observe or not observe. The world's perishing, and they're sitting there arguing over who the better preacher is or which preacher is a heretic, or which one isn't. They've, missed, they've completely missed the boat. Things haven't really changed, have they? Again, read what Paul says here. Verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. People are arguing over complicated things and trying to do each, outdo each other with complicated speech. Yet Paul says here he didn't preach with wisdom or words. He preached with plain words. He was humble. He delivered his sermons in a modest manner. He wasn't trying to be exalted. He wasn't looking to show off. He was just a tent maker, just telling the Gentiles about what Jesus did for him, what he did for him on behalf of his people. That's it. Pretty simple. But the world's not satisfied with that. Men's minds are entertained and their ears are tickled by the wisdom of eloquent men. They were fascinated 
with men with eloquent speech, these men who don't believe the gospel, who don't care about the gospel. They put it aside, and they argue over theology, so they say. Well, it's dead theology because there's no gospel. It's like arguing about how the deck chairs ought to be arranged on the, on the sinking Titanic. And yet they'll make a show of things and claim to have unity with each other because they subscribe to this creed or that creed. They cloud the real issue, Christ. And the simplicity of Christ is lost. And they replace human wisdom for the precious gift of faith. And they rest in their own knowledge and are proud about what they think they know. They think that because they can answer the catechism without notes, they're saved. But it's not what you know, it's who you know. They don't know Christ unless they have a false unity. Like those early believers who continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house and ate their food with gladness and singleness of heart, may God be pleased to let that be us. Let us praise the Lord together. May the Lord be pleased to add to our church daily, as should be saved. He's got his scattered elect out there, his precious sheep. We don't know who they are, but without the gospel, why would they ever join us? Why would those sheep come in here? why every week we must continue to get up here and preach Christ and him crucified. I can get advice on how to run my life anywhere else. But the gospel of Christ's salvation, that's something special. And you can only find it amongst his people. Verse 24. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. I'd implore everybody here tonight to continue in the foolishness of God. Don't you like being one of the foolish things of this world? I'm a fool for Christ. The wise men of this world, with all their fancy degrees, all their science, all their wisdom, all their universities, they look at me and they laugh. What's this idiot up here talking about? This Christ? That's some fairy tale nonsense, they, they say. But to me, it's real. The Lord's opened my eyes unto the truth. I've been stripped of my self-righteousness and seen my need for a rightness before God that exceeds that of even the Pharisees. And I know this only by His grace. And nobody can know this unless it be given to them. They can't know it unless it's been revealed. When Peter said to Jesus, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon. 
This was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Let this message of salvation be our theme. Let it be what binds us together. Let it be our unity. Let's not get caught up with rules, canon law, creeds, or confessions. Mere external differences. But what unites us is this message of grace, this gospel of Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for this message of grace. Father, that you brought it to us when we weren't even looking for you. You came out and you found us. You found us in the gutter, dead in trespasses and sins, unable to even lift a finger and help ourselves up. But you came and you scooped us up at the bottom of the ocean. We were dead and drowned. And you breathed life into us and you gave us the ability to see who you are. And you washed us in, in the blood of Christ. And you put on us robes of righteousness. And now we stand before you com- completely perfect in your sight tonight. Father, it's so good to know that we are not condemned no matter what we do, no sin that we can perform that would separate us from your love. And Father, we know you've got your scattered sheep out there that still have not yet come to believe, sheep for whom you've died, sheep for whom you've given your precious son for and who were given to to your son before the foundation of the world. Father, we ask that at your appointed time, that you, through your will, your purpose, you would bring them to believe. You know who they are. And Father, we look forward to meeting them. Father, I'd ask that you go be with us throughout this week. Father, that you would mend our hearts, or knit our hearts together in love. Father, that we would remember that we're brothers and sisters based on Christ and based on what you've done and not anything that we do. Father, we thank you for all things. We ask that you bless our time and you bless our, our travels this week. And Father, I'd ask that you give traveling mercies to, to our, our brother Jim and sister Nancy, that they would be protected as they travel. And Father, I also ask that you uh, give comfort to all those who are suffering trials and tribulations and afflictions. You know their names. We don't know them. We don't know them all. We know some of them. But so many of them are suffering and having a hard way to go. I ask that you comfort them at this time. And we thank you for your mercy and your grace in Christ Jesus. Amen.